The Defense Department's Acquisition University has been a foundation for procurement training for nearly 30 years. But now the Pentagon is trying to change its role. Instead of just a schoolhouse that provides education, the university has been helping flesh out acquisition policy. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni joins me now to explain more of what's going on here and tell us more about DAU itself, Scott, other than a really nice piece of property and a couple of handsome buildings <laughs> on the water in southwest D.C. That's right. That's right. Um, well, you know, it's it's one of those things that started in 1991 as a corporate university for the defense acquisition workforce. And it's uh, standardized training courses for acquisition professionals. And they do everything from test and evaluation to contracting to business management and, and cost estimation. So it's just a, a way to really keep the defense acquisition uh, workforce trained compared to what it was like back in the, the earlier times. And they bring in civilians and uniform people from all over the country and including from civilian agencies, can also take courses at DAU. That's right. And they've actually most recently been doing things like TEDx talks and things like that to try and stay current with the the way that uh, media has been uh, using educational tools. So what is the itch here the Defense Department brass are trying to scratch? Right. Well, you know, the Defense Department's working on this 5000 series, which is a revamp of the way that they uh, procure weapons. And what they've been doing is having six pathways to do this. One of those is mid-tier acquisition. One's your classic major acquisition uh, uh, procurement, different different ways of doing things because they realize it takes different flavors to, to get different products you need software needs a different uh, way of procurement than say a tank especially all the software on the tank right <laughs> and 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 what we've seen is uh you know that DOD will kind of put out this this trend uh, we're seeing a trend where DOD will put out a policy it's something that's a little bare bones and then you know they will let it's the defense acquisition workforce work within that a little bit. And then they'll ask the defense acquisition university to kind of look at the way things are working and come out with a, a framework and a, a little bit of a guide as to how to, to do things, a best practices, if you will. And it's just a little bit more than what defense acquisition university is really used to doing. Instead of teaching by the book, they're almost kind of you know pushing things a little farther forward. So for example, if there was a new policy on OTAs, I'm just making this one out of the hat, and they wanted to find out, well, how is it going with OTAs? Then this kind of experiential teaching as it's in progress could take place at DAU? Right. It's it's dynamic. It's a back and forth between the Defense Department and DAU. And I, I think a perfect example is mid-tier acquisition. You and I talked about this just a few weeks ago. They came out with a new policy, DOD, very bare bones, very uh, straightforward. This is what we've been doing very simple. They sent it uh, out, and then they're asking now DAU to flesh it out into a framework. And uh, what they're going to be doing is putting together vignettes for how it's been used effectively, modules for how it's being used, and then you know how, telling people how to to use it appropriately. So, like I said, it's dynamic. They're going. It's not just DOD gives to DAU and it's done. It's DAU and DOD going back and forth to try and figure out the best way to make this acquisition method work. So this is a reflection of the fact that they're buying more experimental things. They're buying more innovative types of technologies using non-traditional vendors and non-traditional acquisition techniques. It's not all just about the DFAR straight arrow. 
Right, and and that is because also this this revamp of the five thousand is supposed to make things more intuitive for anyone that wants to work with DoD as well. So you know they need to shape their their methods for that purpose. I think it's also because they have new authorities that they've never used before. Really, I mean OTAs are older. Yes, they've been around since the fifties with NASA, but they were never really used like they're being used in the past five years until until now. And same with mid-tier acquisition. It's a completely new ballgame where they're trying to, you know, work out the kinks as they're moving along and using it. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mossioni and switching gears here for a moment, DOD is also setting up a counter drone office. Something new here being stood up. That's right. Well, yesterday morning I heard from Ellen Lord, who's the Undersecretary of Acquisition and Sustainment for DOD. And she said that they're setting up this counter drone office, first of all, because it's just extremely important for the Defense Department in this near-peer competition that they're in with China, Russia, and even with smaller countries like Iran, where you know a drone is a low-cost uh, uh, technology you can use to cause a lot of damage. So it's going to be focusing on uh, creating three to five systems that will help the overall military. Now, the Army is going to be in charge of this office. It's going to be uh, led by a major general in Crystal City. But the office is going to have 60 people. It's going to be pretty big. And they're already looking uh, at uh, technologies that they have while also trying to develop things. And they're going to start down-selecting that into, uh, five, like I said, three or five programs in April. And then the, the the whole point is that they believe it's going to take multiple systems to defeat these drones. It's not a one size fits all. You know, you have small drones. You need a smaller, uh, you know, more precise weapon. Maybe, maybe uh, bigger drones might need something more hardy. Different things like that. It's a little bit parallel to what we were speaking about with Defense Acquisition University, with new systems and new techniques coming on. They want to flush it out at DAU. Here, it sounds like there's an acknowledgement that the U.S. no longer holds the aces with respect to unmanned technology, as we did, say, in the 90s and early 2000s. Right. Well, it's it's just so accessible now. You know, you can go to Walmart and buy a drone and put, uh, you know, something dangerous on it and fly it into a building. And that's a weapon, a very dangerous one right there. So it's... Or you could fly a cheap, passive metal drone into an expensive, capable drone owned by the United States and crash it right. for very little money. Exactly. And, and you know, that's the way that the... The, the warfare has been changing in the past few years. You know, it's just uh, it's not all about these exquisite large weapon systems anymore. And we do know that uh, Iran did shoot down a U.S. drone a couple of years ago and has threatened to do so again. So the drones, which are our big threat, one of the competitive offsets, you might say, are themselves being counter offset. Exactly. Yes. And it was actually just as recently as this summer that the most recent U.S. drone was shot down. All right. And there's also published reports about the president wanting to divert $7.2 billion in military funding for the border wall coming this year in 2020, fiscal 2020. How's that all shaping up? Right. So this is going to be taken once again from the military construction and drug interdiction funds within DOD. That's something that's gotten bipartisan pans from from the from Congress, you know, uh, Mac Thornberry, the ranking member on the House Armed Services Committee, spoke out against this when DOD tri- did it in 2019, and they only took half of that money, so that was 3.6 billion dollars altogether. The totality of what uh, the Trump administration has put into this wall now would be 18.4 billion dollars if they add the the 7.2 along with this. So uh, it's a pretty hefty investment. Um, and now Congress had the opportunity to stop this uh, this 
this movement of funds, which they don't really like, in the NDAA this year. And that originally was in the NDAA, but was taken out in conference. Uh, So I'm sure the Democrats are uh, pretty upset that they didn't get to keep that provision in there because now it's probably going to cause another pretty big issue and and maybe uh, some fights about reprogramming in the future. Strange things happen in conference, even against people's most ardent expectations and assurances. Things get added and things get pulled out in bills in the final hours, don't they? Yeah, well, they won't make those promises to finally get it across the finish line. Federal News Network, Scott Mossioni, thanks so much. Thank you. Check out all of his stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.